Our scripture today comes to us from the 20th chapter of John, verses 19 through 31. Hear these words of good news. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was the one called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hand, and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that they may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. May God add a blessing upon the reading of this word. Let's pray. God, for the gift of your holy scriptures, we give you thanks. We ask that you open our hearts and our minds so that we may hear what you might be trying to tell us today. Amen. From the moment our lungs draw in our first breath to the moment we exhale our last, our life is one big transition. Each day brings about new experiences and new ways of seeing the world. It should be of no surprise then that God created our minds and our bodies and our spirits to process the transition of our lives in helpful and healing ways. It's strange then that transitions can be so anxiety inducing for us. To be honest, it's not actually the transition itself that is difficult, it's getting our heads in a place where we can accept the change that is happening. Through these transitions, we often experience the process of grief. Our grief is the way we make sense of what we've lost or will be losing in the midst of life's transitions. God created our psyches and our bodies to handle loss through the grief process. The collective trauma that we are currently experiencing has invited all of us into one giant grief process. 
and boy, does it hurt. But grief, done with sensitivity and compassion, is a healing process for us. Over the next several weeks, our sermon series will focus on the power of place. As we journey along to a few different places to experience the resurrected Christ, we will explore what it means to encounter Jesus in the various spaces in our lives. I suspect that in each of those places, we're going to find some whole, uh, wholeness and healing offered to us by Jesus. In the coming weeks, we're going to find ourselves walking along the road on our way to Emmaus with the disciples. We'll eventually end up standing at the gate with Jesus. But before we get to either of those locations, we find ourselves today picking up where the Easter story left off last week. The disciples had just had their lives turned upside down. Their friend, their teacher, the one whom they loved and trusted, had been arrested, beaten, crucified. He was dead and had been buried. And now to top it off, all off, he is no longer in his tomb. Mary, Peter, and John had all witnessed the empty tomb. Peter and John returned home to the place where they were staying, but Mary faithful and mourning and not yet ready to leave, stays behind. She becomes the first one to encounter the risen Christ. It's Mary who gets to be the one to return to the disciples and tell them that she saw the Lord. Though Jesus had given all of them a heads up about what was going to happen, their minds still were not able to grasp this huge transition in their lives. So what do the disciples do? They lock themselves in the upper room. You know what I've decided? I refuse to shame the disciples for locking themselves in the room. And I refuse to shame Thomas for doubting. And I mean it. It is very easy for us to make light of their actions 2,000 years later. It's easy for us today to tease that they didn't have enough faith or stamina or whatever it was to deal with what was happening. I actually don't think that's a fair assessment. It doesn't give the human condition much credit. When we don't recognize their actions as reasonable, and as the way that God has created us to deal with trauma and change, we end up denying a part of their humanity. And to deny a part of their humanity is to deny that they were created in God's very own image, created to reflect God's love in this world. These men were in shock, as was Mary, as was Jesus' mother, as was all of those who loved Jesus, as was the entire community. This was serious. They were in crisis. Grief, profound, astounding, and at times all-consuming. In their book on grief and grieving, authors Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and David Kessler 
outline the, the famous stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. And then Kessler later on has added a sixth stage, which is finding meaning out of the loss. These stages of grief are not linear and they aren't moved through at the same speed in each stage. Grief is unique for each person. Everyone involved in the Easter story was thrown into their own process of grief. It is in today's scripture that we find the disciples at the beginning of their process. Without judgment, without shaming, I'm going to invite us to observe the story of Jesus coming to the disciples for the first time. Will we have the courage to look deeply into the story to learn a little bit more about God? Will we be able to delve into a space where we can come to a better understanding of what is happening in the lives of the, of the disciples, as well as what is happening in our lives today? Our story for today is set later that evening. The disciples are scared, they're in shock, and they've locked themselves in the upper room. This room is the same place that just a few days earlier they shared their last supper with Jesus. This room is the same place where he had washed their feet and told them to love one another. It is in this space, safe, comfortable, and with strong memories of connection to Jesus that they seek refuge. It makes sense that this is the place where they would have returned in their fear of the Jewish authorities. It makes sense that this is the place where Jesus first makes his presence known to his friends. We seek out safety and comfort when we are scared and hurting. But for some reason, Thomas is not with the other disciples. We don't know where he is, only that he is not a part of the group that night. What do you think the disciples were doing? Were they rehashing the events over the past few days? In crisis, we sometimes do this, retelling the story over and over again, trying to find some meaning in the details of the event. Or had they shut down? Were they hunkered down in their own space within the room in such a state of shock that they couldn't communicate to one another? In crisis, we sometimes do this. We move about in a fog, unable to fully process what is happening in that moment. Whatever the behavior of the disciples, we know that they were scared. And this is when Jesus shows up. Jesus doesn't waste time with pleasantries. He's able to identify right away what is going on with the disciples and what they may need. They are scared and he addresses it head on. Peace be with you. Surely these were soothing words for fearful hearts. But Jesus doesn't stop there. After he offers these words, he shows his hands and his side to the disciples. And it is 
then that the disciples recognized Jesus and were filled with joy. It's curious that Jesus' resurrected body still contains the wounds from the crucifixion. Jesus doesn't form himself into something that is pretty, complete, palatable. He offers himself to the disciples in a different kind of fullness, a fullness that includes all of him with his wounds visible to the disciples' eyes. We often try to hide our wounds, don't we? Physical wounds, psychological wounds, whatever they may be, we like to gloss over these places of pain in our lives and present to the world a cleaned up, shiny version of ourselves. But when we do this, we deny a part of our humanity being human means fully experiencing all of life, and it is these experiences, pain, joy, and everything in between, which help shape, form, and mold us into the people we are today. My cousin Shannon died in February. She was a few years older than me and lived in Colorado with her wife and her pets. I can honestly say that the world lost a light, bright, shining soul when she died. Anyone who knew Shannon would tell you that she had the ability to make you feel important. If you wanted to talk, she would listen to you as if you were the most interesting and profound person ever. She could laugh easily and love big. She was a gift to all who knew her. People were drawn to Shannon and I believe it's because she embodied fully and authentically what it meant to be human. Shannon was diagnosed with an aggressive form of breast cancer almost four years ago. At the beginning of her cancer journey, her family created a private Facebook group for all of us so that we could be kept up to date on her treatments and how things were going in her life. The group, which was aptly named Fans of Shannon, included uh, Shannon's family along with an array of friends that she had collected over the years. Shannon's circle of people included um, people that represented a variety of faith traditions, including no faith tradition at all. It also included a range of sexual orientations. It included friends who, along with Shannon, had taken their sobriety seriously over the years. Her circle of friends represented a variety of races and cultures and people who loved animals and those who were fellow dog trainers along with Shannon. But most of all, her circle of people represented a big group of people with big and beautiful hearts. And at the center of this big circle of diversity was a shared love for Shannon. 
My mom and I used to talk about the beauty of this Facebook group because in it we saw encompassed the most important components of church, church at its best. And though it wasn't church, what we saw offered was encouragement and support. We saw a place where people could come and be real and to love. And it was in this space that we got to experience Shannon's humanness through her struggles, through her joy, through the ways that she transitioned from the shock of the diagnosis to anger and fear and acceptance at the finality of her life. Her realness was a gift to all of us. The disciples made sure to tell Thomas about their encounter with Jesus. And it got me wondering how Thomas may have been feeling. Was he jealous that he didn't get to see Jesus? Did his heart sink that he didn't get to lay eyes on his teacher? Did he regret, regret whatever he had been doing that night? That he wasn't locked in that room along with the other disciples? And Thomas tells the disciples, Well, unless I too get to see Jesus' hands and his sides, I will not believe. It is the realness of Jesus that Thomas needs to see. He missed out on this beautiful experience that the other disciples shared. Who are we to call him Doubting Thomas for stating what many others would probably say? Who are we to shame him for being bold enough to state what he needs? So it's a whole week later now and we find the disciples, including Thomas, gathered once again in this upper room. The room is again shuttered, but this doesn't stop Jesus from entering. This time he repeats the same gift of grace that he had shared the week before. Peace be with you. He speaks into their ongoing fear and then he invites Thomas to witness the same part of himself that he offered to the other disciples. Put your finger here on my hand. Place your hand there on my side. Jesus understood what Thomas needed. He gently and graciously provides it to him. And it is then that Thomas really sees Jesus. My Lord, my God. And it was in that moment that Thomas's faith begins to grow. It's Jesus who gave Thomas what he needed in order to help that process. There is no shame in being authentic, being real, being who you are and stating what you need, showing your humanity because this is who God created you to be. I ended up officiating Shannon's funeral, uh, but I didn't find out until very late because a dear friend of hers had planned on doing the funeral and end up, ended up being ill at the last minute. I sat in my hotel room the day before the funeral and worked to put my thoughts and my words together, praying so hard that I would have the right words to fully represent who Shannon was to all of those who had gathered there that day.
As I was doing this, I realized that I didn't have the opportunity to do what I normally do in order to prepare for funerals, and that's to sit down with the family and those who are closest to the deceased and deceased and listen to their stories and walk alongside them as they remember and grieve. It was my hope that I would be able to put the right words together for those who had gathered. You know what I ended up hearing at her funeral the next day? I heard story after story about friends who had been supported throughout the years that Shannon was in Alcoholics Anonymous. I heard story after story about the ways that she had supported her friends as they too were growing into understanding their own sexuality and sharing that with their families. Shannon didn't hide who she was. She was courageous and beautiful, and this is what made her so appealing to so many people. Grief, profound, astounding, and at times all-consuming. The church had been a source of pain for Shannon and her family. Many years ago when she had been courageous enough and bold enough to share who she really was, there had been some who said some very hurtful things to her. And as a result, Shannon and her family did not want to be a part of church. I flew home from Denver on Saturday, February 29th, late in the night. I was exhausted from the travels and from the emotional energy which was required of me to lead a funeral. My heart was hurting from the loss of Shannon. My heart was also hurting for the ways that the church had hurt her. The next morning on Sunday, March 1st, it was Communion Sunday at Stony Brook. During the 9.30 service, a young boy came forward to receive communion from my station. And as I do with every child, I held out the piece of bread, I bent down, and I looked into his face, and as I handed him the bread, I said, this is because Jesus loves you. This beautiful little soul raised his face to mine and looked me square in the eyes, and he said to me with all the confidence he could muster, I already know that. I learned that in Sunday school. I immediately felt some of the pieces from my broken heart being gently knit back together. Friends, this is church at its best. When church shares with everyone that Jesus loves them. Jesus offers us all of who he is so that we can be whole. It is through these wounds, these broken pieces, that we get to see glimpses of the beauty of God and beauty in each of us. Your woundedness is not cause for alarm. It's a part of being human. And instead of trying to push it away and clean it up and presenting only the shiny pieces to the world, take a cue from Jesus. 
Offer all of who you are to others because it's in your realness that you might just be a source of healing for someone else. So here we find ourselves today standing in this locked room with the disciples. Our world sure feels scary right now. We've been thrown off balance. We are transitioning. We are grieving. We don't know what's really happening. It is my prayer for each of you that in the midst of all of this, you can hear Jesus speaking through the fear and saying to you, peace be with you. May you be able to experience the love Jesus has for you from the words of grace from his mouth, through the sharing of his wounds, and through the breathing of the Holy Spirit upon you. May you believe that this love for you is true so that you too can say with confidence, I already know Jesus loves me. I learned that in church. Amen.